Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, joined by Jordan Climac. And Jordan, since we last talked, a lot of things have happened with the Browns, but I, I think the place to start is the Browns got a victory. They got a big they victory on Thursday <laughs> night against the Broncos. Yeah, it's still kind of like, so we had a victory Friday, so it's still kind of like technically victory Monday, and you know, that's just the glory of running on a Thursday night game. So I'm claiming victory Friday and victory Monday. We, we get them both, Henry. That, that's how it works. I'll take it. Uh, I, 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 of course. It doesn't have quite the same feeling as winning on a Sunday, but frankly, the Sunday games are <laughs> awful. Uh, it, yeah. Of course, it's the first time I had a chance to you know, really watch the whole league. You know, no Browns came to focus on, and then the games were absolutely dreadful, and I found myself, like, making runs to Walgreens and cooking soup rather than actually watching football, which is pretty unusual for me, but that was just... The, Hold on, what uh, kind of soup? Come on, you got you to gotta tell everyone what kind of soup you were making now. I made a, a chicken gnocchi soup which was uh, okay. a good time. Uh, it was terrible weather here in Chicago, too. It rained pretty much. Oh, the, uh, it's, it's Henry, it's been raining for 48 hours here. I don't think it stopped, so. Yeah, it's the same same deal in Chicago. So, yeah, pretty awful. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm still riding a little bit of a high off the Browns victory. There are some other reasons to be less optimistic about the, the Browns, mostly because it seems like the Bengals have, have launched themselves into contention as well. But, Jordan, let's talk about that Browns game because – the Browns 17-14 got the job done over the Broncos on Thursday night. It was not a pretty game, uh, but the the team did come out with the win. So, what were your your thoughts uh, on the on the Case Keenum led Browns uh, beating the Broncos? So I thought, like, obviously, it's kind of cliche to say, right? You know, the whole every time you win a game, like, hey, that was a team win. But like, I really do feel like this was a team win, uh, Henry. We talked about like earlier in the year, there hasn't really been that game where the Browns put it together in all three phases. Um, I think this was probably the closest to doing that this year. I know they only scored 17 points, but when they needed points, they got them. They got ahead early, which is exactly what they needed to do. I thought the defense stepped up and made some plays when they needed to as well. Then the special teams, Jamie Gillen, out of nowhere, uh, you know, the Undertaker meme with his uh, career there, all of a sudden, just, you know, the Browns brought in some kickers for competition. And it lit a fire under Jamie Gillen, apparently. And uh, he had a great game. He had a 65-yard punt. So, yeah, there was it was just a lot of good things going on. And um, like you said, it wasn't a pretty win, but it was a win that you needed, especially with all the injuries going on, Henry, and guys like Dearness Johnson stepping up. Like You love to see it. So happy to get a win. Wasn't pretty, but of course we'll take it. The Dearness Johnson story was, was also my favorite part of the night to highlight. I just It was really cool to see all of that happen. And yeah, for me, I you know I, I came on and said after the game, I, I really thought this was an organizational win, and, which is somewhat along the same lines as what you were talking about. But I think the reason I phrased it as that, as far as the organizational infrastructure, is this was a lot of Andrew Barry taking a victory lap a little bit in terms of how well this roster is built. Like you had Dearness Johnson making a huge impact. You had, you know, Blake Hans had a pretty good game. Uh, yeah, a lot of these other reserves that he had kind of built out through the depth of this team really, I thought, was what carried the day. And then also, I think coaching. I think the Browns, you know, for as much, uh, again, as I've defended Kevin Stefanski, I don't think he's deserved some of the criticism he's gotten. But this game in particular, I thought was a masterclass by him as far as what he got out of the offense, 
how he had the team ready to play on a Thursday night. Cause I mean, how many times do we watch these Thursday night games, even with the very best teams and, and they come out looking totally unprepared. The Browns had no idea who was going to be in the lineup. Donovan Peoples Jones goes out right before the game and, and they come out and walk down the field and score a touchdown on the opening drive. And they come out and give up zero points in the first half. So to me, this was a game where the, the front office, you know, was on full display in terms of the roster they built. Kevin Stefanski did great work with that roster. And then some of the players uh, clearly stepped up as well, both from an on the field perspective. And I thought from, uh, you know, a, a leadership perspective in terms of the guys dealing with the adversity. I feel like there are some Browns teams that would have responded to the criticism they faced differently than this Browns team did. I thought Miles Garrett, you know, had a great game and also stepped up as a leader. I thought John Johnson had a nice, you know, bounce back game as a veteran. So that stuff I, I thought was also nice to see. Yeah, I tweeted out um, during the game, uh, Stefanski was in his bag uh, when it comes to his play calling. I mean, like the play sequencing, just the way we, they came out on that opening drive, you just knew like, all right, like that opening drive of the game, Henry, that might have been the Browns' best drive of the year, other than maybe the opening drive in Kansas City in terms of just, like I said, the play sequencing, everything Stefanski was doing. Like it was it was incredible to see, and, and you hit on all the points. Uh, another guy that just deserves a lot of credit too is, is Bill Callahan. I, I think he gets a ton mm -hmm. of credit for I think that this was the best game for the Browns' offensive line this entire year. I thought Jedrick Wills came back in and played his best game of the year without question. Uh, he was kind of back to looking like himself. Then you mentioned Blake Hans. Um, you know, shout out to Blake Hans, man. He 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 need, he needs the love because he stepped in and he's played a major role. He was playing left tackle. He's playing right tackle. I liked him at right tackle. He's alive, you know, uh, much to the chagrin of Von Miller. Like he said, he was going to kill him. I think, you know, Blake Hans is uh, very much alive. So yeah, I thought the offensive line had a great game as well. And then obviously you saw Dearness Johnson benefit from the play of the offensive line, but the three guys in particular on that line, was Hans Wills, and then I got to give it up for Wyatt Teller as well. I feel like it seemed like the Browns were running behind him every single time they ran the ball on, on Thursday night. So the offensive line was just incredible, and I think uh, probably the biggest reason they won that football game. Yeah, Jordan, I think that's a great point about the offensive line. You saw the, drive, the first drive, they just ran the ball, and the offensive line just pushed the Broncos off the ball, play after play after play. And you can scheme – you know, to have one weak tackle where, where you address those weaknesses again, because Blake Hans is a guard. I mean, that's really the, the, the ultimate issue here. And he played okay, but like you can scheme when you have one worry at, at tackle, but it's tough with two. And you mentioned the return of Jed Wells. I even, I don't know if he was a hundred percent back. He still didn't practice really leading up to the game, but you saw the impact th that he had being back there and at least being somewhat more like himself for sure. And so if the Browns going forward can get Jack Conklin back and at least restore that offensive line, I think that would be key because although they won the game and it is, you know, it was a huge win and great for the most part, considering how much they battled their injuries and all of that. I do think Case Keenum looked pretty limited out there, Jordan. Like, I don't think we can expect a whole lot out of him going forward. I, you know, the, I didn't think the, the processing, was great from him. I think you saw some, some limitations in terms of his arm strength, pushing the ball down the field. So the Browns are going to have to continue to run the ball and work the short and intermediate areas if he's going to be the quarterback, you know, for the Steelers game and beyond potentially. Yeah, that was, you mentioned, I mean, 
in case he played fine. And I look, I think he's one of those guys, Henry, that he's like a plug and play guy. You put him in, he's not going to make any like crucial mistakes. He's not going to do too much to win you the game necessarily. But in, 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 and that was evident in the way that he was underthrowing a lot of the deep balls. The arm strength, I think, was the biggest difference, um, obviously, that you see from Baker and Case Keenum. And just more evident that, like, Baker is the guy going forward. And if he can play, he needs to be that guy. Um, I, I think, look, the fact of the matter is he scored 17 points with Case Keenum. If you go further down the season, Henry, I mean, the game is against, like, the Bengals. You're not going to be able to win with scoring 17 points you might not be able to beat the Steelers scoring 17 points so you're going to need to score more points uh because you're you know you're not going to be playing that uh Broncos team every week so yeah that was without question to me the biggest difference though was the arm strength there was a um you know he missed Odell on a touchdown that I think that you know a, a better throw gets to him there and, and then another deep ball to shorts where shorts had the guy beat and then kind of had to come back and save the th- uh pass from being intercepted so that was definitely the biggest difference, Henry, the arm strength and definitely the accuracy as well. Yeah, he's exactly what you want a good backup to be is, you know, he got plugged in uh-huh. against an average team and he was able to win a game against them. How long he could sustain that, I don't know. You know, if he could beat better teams than that Broncos level of team, he would obviously still be a starter in the league, right? So you can only expect so much out of your backup. But, he, you know, basically the Browns have paid Case Keenum for that game is to be able to come in, not make mistakes, make the throws you're supposed to make and not do anything to screw up with, with the rest of the roster around him. And, and the rest of the roster around him did their jobs. I, I thought, you know, everybody from the offensive line, but then also the defensive perspective as well. I, you know, I don't think, I, I necessarily think the defensive problems are solved, but against a limited Broncos team, they gave up two first downs in the entire first half and only 14 points, which in the modern NFL is about all you can expect, even against a limited offense. Exactly. And I remember, you know, reading on Twitter all week, you know, people calling in the show talking about like, well, if you're Baker, you don't want to let them see, you don't want to let the Browns see, you don't want to see, let the fans, you don't want the rest of the NFL to see Case Keenum as your backup, because then that will, you know, kind of, in the, in the interesting situation that Baker has going on with his contract, that all of a sudden you look at that like, well, maybe he's not the guy because you can kind of get the same production in Case Keenum. And look, if, if, you, if that was your opinion, if you watched Thursday night's game and you're walking away from that saying like, look, you can plug in Case Keenum and still get the same that you would from Baker, like, please, I, I want to, I would love to pick your brain and, and figure out how you came to that conclusion because I think it was evident, if anything, it went in the other direction in Baker's favor in terms of saying, look, you actually are missing a lot with you not out there rather than Case Keenum. Yeah, I don't think Case Keenum, uh, hopefully, I think at least, uh, would be the the solution if the Browns went in, in another direction. But that is part of the challenge in general, Jordan. And I think that's a good transition into the Baker Mayfield uh, discussion because there's been some interesting reporting, uh, you know, from ESPN's Dan Graziano about Baker Mayfield in the last couple of days about how essentially the Browns think they can win with him. They still would be willing to offer him a, a contract that would pay him in the mid to high $30 million a year range and, and kind of make him, you know, roughly the, the fifth you know, highest paid quarterback in, in the NFL. So do you think, you know, Keenum's performance played into that number one? And then what did you think about uh, that reporting from Dan Graziano? Well, I definitely thought it was interesting and kind of surprised me, uh, to be honest with you, because if anything, you would think that this time would, would hurt, uh, you know, Baker not being able to play would 
hurt his chances at getting the contract that he wanted and kind of work in the favor of the Browns because at that point, it's like if he hadn't got his contract to this point, you would think, okay, there's still something that the front office needs to see that he still needs to prove, you know, those 17 data points, which are the games this year. And the, and the less you play of them, the more, you know, the team doesn't have to go off them. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, like I, 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 that's why I was surprised by it because I expected to see, you know, Baker not get a contract offer this season after we didn't get it in the off season. And then for him to be out right now and us being able to not see more of Baker in this system, it's kind of odd timing. Yeah. My guess in this, again, pure speculation, not any reporting is the Browns probably made an offer somewhere along the lines of this in the off season. And Baker Mayfield said no. And as I said, in the off season, why I didn't think a contract extension would get done is if you're Baker, basically the way the quarterback market has gone is the next man up gets the most money. And so why would you take that when Josh Allen just got $43 million when Lamar Jackson's going to get more than $43 million a year annually. And so to me, my guess, my read on the situation is the Browns said, Hey, this was kind of some reporting that this is still on the table. And I think really what's changed here is, you know, ahead of the season, Baker Mayfield was probably thinking, you know, I've got a great team. I've got great weapons. This season's going to go well. And then they're going to be forced to pay me that much money. Whereas now I think both the, uh, I think that the the leverage has changed a little bit where this injury means that Baker Mayfield might be more willing to entertain a contract uh, in this range. And I also think the franchise tag, it, it comes into play here too. So maybe the Browns are, are saying, Hey, we're still willing to go long-term, not the franchise tag, but, but at our price so again, total speculation, but those would be the two so, things I would say that I, I read into this. So it sounds to me like you think that this may have came from somewhere in the Browns front office of them putting it out. Like, Hey, like, we offered I mean, who this else would and turned come? it down. And exactly. Well, so if that's the case, so do you think that there's sort of this like cat and mouse game going on between Baker Mayfield and media right now? Because I can't say for certain, but I, I don't think that the Browns would have been and probably were too pleased with the, you know, the Jay Glazer report last week that all of a sudden becomes out, drops 15 minutes before the game that Baker's way more injured than we thought. Uh, and like, you got to think from the Browns perspective, they wouldn't want to take that to get out. And it was a direct quote from Baker Mayfield. So like, did that get out? And then all of a sudden the Browns like, well, we can drop this as well. Like, yeah, I don't know. It kind of sounds like that could be the case right now. A little cat and mouse going on. Maybe, maybe. And, and I don't know how much one has to do with another. They, they certainly could be related. I also just don't know what conversations are going on behind the scenes right now. But like we talked about, I, I mean, something that, that could be at play here is, you know, a, a labrum surgery, you're looking at four to six months. And so if that happens in the off season, that puts next season in jeopardy for Baker Mayfield, as far as the beginning of the season, if he gets it done now, that of course puts this season in jeopardy, but would mean he's around for next season. So I think that's the dynamic too, that comes into play here is the timing of all of this stuff. Yes, there is more than six months of, of time, uh, you know, between when the Browns are likely going to be out though of course if they made the super bowl there wouldn't be six months of time but if they uh you know if they are able to you know if they are eliminated by that point uh baker could get the surgery and be back in time but otherwise you know that there's some timing issues here i think that's the challenge in what might be playing into this as well yeah it's just it's just an interesting thing but i think that at the end of the day though to see because the number that came out on that was it was, was it 30 to 33 million or somewhere in that range? 
He said mid mid to high 30s, which to me kind of indicates 33 to like 38, which you know, Russell okay. Wilson's the and the you know, Russell Wilson's the fifth highest paid quarterback at 35 million a year right now. You know, you've got Mahomes at 45, Allen at 43, Dak at 40, Deshaun Watson at 39, Russell Wilson at 35. You know, factor in Lamar Jackson will almost certainly be added to that in the offseason. You know, right around that Josh Allen range would be my guess. So to me, that, that's what they're saying is like Baker Mayfield would be right around the, the fifth highest yeah. quarterback as opposed to, you know, the second highest behind Mahomes. Which, like, I, I got to say, like, through through all of this, and, like, we can speculate about where it came from, this, that, and the other, but if that's the case, if it's a, somewhere in that range of 30 to 35, like, I'm totally on board with that. Like, I, I thought it would be coming at a higher price tag. I thought we would be talking closer to the 40. I think we've done podcasts in the past. Obviously, Baker's play this year hasn't probably exactly warranted that 40 million. So if you get him somewhere in the low to mid 30s, Henry, that's it's pretty attractive moving forward. Again, I think, you know, the fundamental challenge for the Browns and for all teams in this situation is you can be unhappy with Baker Mayfield, but what's your plan B? You know, because you have to have somebody at quarterback, right? And so you could franchise tag him. I think the franchise tag is projected at roughly $28.5 million for next year right now, but that's a short-term solution because the year after that, it would be in the mid-30s, and then the year after that, it would be astronomical. You basically can only franchise tag somebody for two years and every quarterback that's played the franchise tag game has won. Kirk Cousins did it. Dak Prescott has did it. Somebody has paid them. And in the case of Kirk Cousins, I applaud the Washington football team for saying, Hey, he's not the guy like we'll let him go. But you see what dilemma that puts you in because good quarterbacks don't hit the free agent market. You can't get one that way. If you're a team like the Washington football team and the Browns are in a similar situation, the rest of your roster is going to be too good to get you a high draft pick either. So you're left with what options that would be better than Baker Mayfield. You're picking the free agent market for kind of lower mid-tier quarterbacks. I mean, where you're hoping for a trade. And other than that, there's really no other options. So you basically, you do, you play this whole game. And at the end of it, you realize Baker Mayfield's still the best option at the end of it. And so that's why teams always sign their franchise quarterbacks, even if they're not sold on the Jared Goffs, the Carson Wentz's. You really don't have a choice. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is kind of like, I don't think that either of us or really anyone really out there has ever thought that like this would get to a point where we get down to a road where it's like franchise tag next year and then you move on. Like, I don't think anyone really was expecting that. I think it was kind of expecting this contract situation to get solved at some point. And it was kind of just when, when it was going to happen and what the dollar figure was going to be. Um, I don't know. Do you expect there to be some sort of deal made now after hearing this? Or do you think, like you said earlier, because Baker might've said no to that. Does he come back and realize like, Hey, if I'm compromised in my situation, maybe I have to consider this. I think nothing happens until the off season. I'd be surprised if anything happens until the off season. I just yeah. think this was some anchoring uh, from the Browns front office. In Interesting terms of timing. Stance. Interesting timing. Yeah. That, and that's why I said uh, the, that was my speculation is that it could have something to do with his current injury, because otherwise I don't really know why this would be coming out uh, in, in during the actual season itself. Jordan, let's, let's transition to, I think, you know, the mini buy, which is what I, I like to call that, you know, these 10 days after Thursday night is a nice little, period. It's not quite the bye week, but because the Browns bye week is so late this year, I like to do this earlier. It's just to do a mini, you know, reset in, in terms of taking a bigger picture look 
uh, what's happened so far this season. So Browns are four and three. They sit, uh, you know, really third in their division at, at this point because the Steelers three and three. Uh, as far as the season has gone so far, what has differed, you know, from your expectations through the first seven games? What did you think would be different that hasn't materialized so far? Um, I think that's pretty easy for me, and it's just the secondary play. Um, just at, at times this year, I think the defensive line has gotten the job done uh, very often. I think the players on that defensive line have kind of gotten frustrated to the point where it's like, hey, we're, like, we're getting our job done. We're doing our end. The secondary isn't holding up their end of the bargain. I thought that you know coming into this year, it's been a weird, weird year for Denzel Ward. Um, you know, I think probably his worst year of his career so far. I mean, I'd, I mean, just kind of being frank about it. Um, and then, of course, he gets injured again. So it's been a weird season for him. Uh, it, it's kind of weird to say this, too, because I think Greg Newsom has been one of like the bright spots. Um, he had a great game on Thursday night when he, you know Ward went down. He made a couple of plays. But overall, in general, too, like the safety play, um, Ronnie Harrison coming in and out of every game, John Johnson, kind of the lack of communication going on at sometimes, and the busted coverage. Troy Hill has been hit or miss. Um, I, I just really expected that. I thought that we upgraded a lot in those secondary positions. And yeah, it's been better than last year, but it's not, hasn't been quite as good as I expected it to be. And I think that the players would say so themselves. So I think to me easily, this could be the secondary because if you fix a lot of those issues in the secondary, all of a sudden it's like, okay, well maybe, maybe you beat the chargers because you don't have those two blown coverages. I, there's just a lot of different scenarios that I think could have played out differently this year. If they had been, the secondary had been on top of their game. Well, it's funny because I, I felt, I feel the same way as you were. I, I, I was making a list and I was like, okay, what's went worse than expected. And I wrote down the secondary was the first thing Denzel Ward, John Johnson, Ronnie Harrison. And then I was writing down what's better than expected. And I wrote down, the rookie contributors and Greedy Williams slash Grant Help, the two guys who didn't play last season. And I was like, well, that's ironic because Greg Newsom is at the is the first round pick. And I was like, and Greedy Williams is also a secondary player, and Grant Delpit is a secondary player. But you're right. I, I do think if you take it in, in the whole, the guys that you would expect to be elite haven't been elite. Now they it hasn't been a total disaster because some of these other guys have stepped up, but you know, Greg Newsom's been injured, he hasn't played the whole time. Gritty Williams is more so a reserve. So the, the impact of those guys might not be as high, but I, uh, I agree with you hundred percent that the secondary is number one for me. And then I wrote number two it, it being Baker Mayfield. And I, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, of course, in terms of the, the injury and everything else. But I just, I thought the, the second half of last season was real, that he was going to build upon that. And you know, how much of it's the injury, how much of it's not, obviously we'll never know, but at this point, if you had asked me what Baker Mayfield's level of play would have been like through seven games, I would have, of course, expected it to be much higher than what we've seen. Yeah, I agree with that. And I kind of tied Baker in with Odell. I kind of put them like, you know, 2A and 2B, basically. Um, just because, like you said, didn't expect, especially after how well the season started for Baker, from an accuracy and rating standpoint, I mean, it was off the charts of some of the best we've seen from him and he kind of really carried over from how well he ended his last season and then like like you said is it the injury or is there something else there probably a combination of both but the fact of the matter is baker hasn't played as well as i thought and then the whole odell thing it's like i don't understand it because you know those first couple of weeks henry you go okay he's running wide ass open we can't f figure out a way to get him the ball baker can't get him the ball 
then he keeps having these drops. He's falling down on routes. Like I, and then he's getting hurt. Like every time he plays, it's, it's really weird. And it's such a weird situation. And it just kind of seems like at this point, Henry, the whole Odell and Cleveland thing, isn't going to work out for whatever reason. Like there should be a 30 for 30 made on this someday of just like how this never material materialized in Cleveland. I just don't get it. So to me, those two things are just, they go hand in hand, obviously with quarterback and wide receiver, but other than the secondary, it's, it's definitely been that. On one hand, the, the OBJ thing hasn't been a, a, as good as I would like it to be, especially with how it's played out in, in terms of watching the tape and, and seeing kind of the, the errors between Baker and OBJ, because I don't really think that was present in the same way when they had previously been on the field together. I feel like this situation has been a departure from previous seasons in terms of just how off they, you know, they've been, uh, just how out of sync they've been. I, uh, on the other hand, I do. I always thought this was going to be Odell Beckham Jr.'s last season in Cleveland, and uh, yeah, I think it's going to be Odell Beckham Jr.'s last season in Cleveland still. So that part hasn't changed from a macro sense, but from a micro sense, it hasn't worked out from the way I expected. And then I, Jordan, I had one other thing written down, which was the the Browns' schedule. Uh, the Browns came into the you know the year with the third easiest projected schedule. And, and I was thinking about what I thought the record would be after seven games. And I was like, well, I thought they were going to be five and two. And I said they were going to lose either one of the Chargers or the Vikings game, which they did. Uh, you know, both games I predicted in the moment for the Browns to win, but in very close fashion. And they ended up dropping one of those. I thought they would lose the Chiefs game. And then the one thing I thought would be different was the Cardinals game. Well, it turns out the Cardinals are still undefeated, the only NFL's uh, last undefeated team. It turns out that the Ravens don't seem to have taken a step back year over year, despite all of the injuries they've suffered. It turns out that the Bengals are way better than we've expected. Aaron Rodgers still on the Packers, which was up in the air at the beginning of the season. Raiders on the schedule looking mighty good. So everybody thought this Brown schedule was going to be like pretty, pretty soft coming into the year. And I feel like that's almost part of the reason as I look forward, I'm, I'm more concerned about this team going forward is just there are some other really good teams around them that I did not expect to be as good as they are. Yeah. And the, obviously the huge one is the Bengals, uh, you know, coming in this year, I feel like everyone kind of everyone and their brother kind of had the Browns circled for two wins against the Bengals this year. And it's looking like you might split that or who knows how that's going to go, but the Bengals are good. They're legit. And it's just, it's hilarious that we just can't catch a break in the AFC North ever. Um, it's just always going to be this crazy division because coming into the year, you would have thought, all right, Browns and Ravens are just going to duke it out. Those two back-to-back games against the Ravens that the Browns have coming up here in a handful of weeks, like that's going to decide the division. But then all of a sudden you sprinkle Cincinnati in the mix. Look, there were three playoff teams from the AFC North last year. There could be three playoff teams from the AFC North again this year. It's just insane. But yeah, like you said, other teams like the Raiders as well, um, the Packers. Yeah, like it, schedule definitely is a lot harder than you thought it would be. And that kind of, that's kind of how we, it all, these things always go, isn't it? Like you, you, you look at the offseason, the schedule in the offseason, like, well, this looks good. You start sur- circling these wins and then like three weeks in, it's just none of that ever mattered. Injuries, the, the spots, all that kind of stuff. You can try to predict it, but you just ultimately you cannot. That being said, Jordan, I, I wanted to ask the reverse of the question. What has gone as expected, you know, in this season so far? Because it feels like it's been a very up and down season for the Browns. But what what do you think has gone as you thought it would, you know, from the start of the season? I would say the offensive 
line. Uh, I mean, mixed, mixed with the run game, I would say. Um, definitely the run game in particular, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I mean, and you can even add Dearness Johnson to the mix as well. But those two guys, when they're on the field, uh, and then again, you've sprinkled Dearness in there, they're going to they're produced. They've produced all year. The Browns have been able to keep their identity offensively because of the production that they've gotten from all those guys. So that's gone exactly how I've expected it to go, Henry. I guess the other thing I would say, too, is. I guess his account to just is too easy to just take Miles Garrett as like, <laughs> I mean, like every year you can expect him at this point to come in and just dominate. And like, that's kind of what I've had. Like this year we're talking about all off season. He's going to be competing for defensive player of the year. If he's able to stay out there, he's been able to stay out there so far. And sure enough, he's right in the thick of things for a defensive player of the year. So I don't know if that's taken like a, too easy of a route, but Miles Garrett, I think he has to be in there. He, when you're held to that high of a standard, it's hard because he almost can't be better than expected when it's like, Hey, you expect him. If the expectation is to be in the defensive player of the year conversation, it's like, you can't go above and beyond that really at that point, but guess what? He's leading the league in sacks and is in the defensive player of the year conversation. So no, I don't think that's, uh, you know, too easy because that is not guaranteed every year. How many years have we seen great defensive players that have struggled for one reason or another? And I don't think, he has at all. You you stole mine as far as the running game. But the other thing I would just say is I, I have hammered the, the table for Kevin Stefanski, and I'm going to keep doing that. I think Kevin Stefanski is an awesome coach, and I think we've seen that again this year. I think the preparation Thursday night, I think we saw you know how they came out against the Chiefs. Uh, for the most part, again, this team hasn't you know, had any games where I was like, okay, this is just like on the coach, total disaster. Like there are so many teams that I was watching on Sunday. And and this is really where I think it came from where I was just like, wow, this is a coaching debacle. Like the bears coaching debacle, lions coaching debacle, Eagles coaching debacle. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, yeah, I am so thankful that the Browns have Kevin Stefanski because yes, you can nitpick certain situations, the fourth downs, all of that stuff. But the Browns actually have a good coach and you watch so many of these teams that are losing games. They shouldn't lose just because they're totally out coached. That's the other thing I, I had written down is, Hey, this is exactly as I thought it was going to be. And I am just as confident as ever that he's the guy. So are we doing a better than expected? Is that next? Am I jumping the gun? Sure. Sure. Yeah. What's, what's been better than expected for me? It's got it. It's this one's a layup. Uh, not even close. It's it's Chase McLaughlin. I think that's, I think that has to be, you know what I mean? Cause like coming in this, this year is like, God, who's our going to kicker going to be like, there's going to be like, if this team has the aspirations that they do of getting to a Super Bowl, playing in big games, making a playoff run, one of those games is going to come down to an extra point, a, a, a field goal or at some point, one of these big games is going to come down to a kick and Chase McLaughlin has been money this year from 50 plus Henry he had a 52 yarder heading into the dog pound uh, on that Thursday night game. That's unheard of. And to go where we came from with Cody Parkey to now having a guy you can trust, probably the guy I'd say Chase McLaughlin, I trust more at this point. Any guy since Phil Dawson. I mean, we've been looking for someone for that long. I think he's been the best Browns kicker since then. So to me, that's the easy one that's been better than expected. Uh, that I just, it was funny. I didn't, I, I, I laughed because I hadn't thought of that as an answer, but I think that's a, uh, I think that's a great answer, frankly, is I was worried about the kicking game ahead of the season. And this is how, you know, McLaughlin's done a great job. I don't even think about it as being a concern anymore. And so that's why it didn't even cross my mind. Exactly. Pencil him in. He's good. Uh, So yeah, I, I, for me, I wrote down two things. Number one, the rookie class, I brought it up earlier. 
even if you expect draft picks to be good long term, usually it's tough for these guys to contribute to winning football right away. And we see this all the time in basketball, for sure. But even football, you know, some of these first round guys, I mean, it's just an adjustment going to the NFL. It's not always that easy, especially, you know, as some of the skill position guys take a while. Some of the line guys. I mean, we've seen that all across up and down the NFL this year, but JOKs look fantastic. Greg Newsom's look fantastic. I mean, a lot of times these guys miss. How many, you know, even of the great teams, how many of their draft picks don't contribute at all? And I think, you know, you see that from organizations all the time, but all of the Browns draft picks are, are contributing at the top. And then they've gotten some unlikely draft picks to contribute, like Demetrius Felton, like Malik McDowell as an undrafted free agent. So to me, that was number one. And then the, the second thing I had written down was Jadavion Clowney. I would, you know, was critical of him in yeah, week that's two. A good one. Uh, but it, other than that, I, I, mean, I was happy with the Clowney signing, but he's been really, really, really good so far this season in a way that I was not uh, sure he still had left in him. I mean, the last couple of years for Jadavion Clowney, he's shown flashes of this, but he's had a, a remarkably good six games, seven games, uh, well, I guess six that he's played. And, and so he's really, uh, and this defensive line is dominant in part because other teams can't just key in on Miles Garrett. And, and that's Clowney. That's the guys in the middle. But uh, in general, this defensive line as a unit has been fantastic. Yeah. And I think the one guy too, that could easily have made this list on that defensive line is Malik McDowell. I mean, there's been points this year where he's been dominant in football games. He's been a huge piece of that defensive line and the success that they've had all year, especially in Henry, the Browns for as many defensive flaws as they have, they've been one of the top three teams against the run all year long. And that starts with those defensive tackles up there throwing Malik Jackson as well. A guy I don't think gets enough credit for how, how good he's been this year as well. But you said JOK. And uh, I, I think that he's the one guy because I thought he was going to be good. I thought he had a chance to be great. I didn't think he was going to be as, like watching him, watching the tape on him is just like fascinating to me how fast he is. He's able, the angles he's able to take to the ball, how fast he is getting to the ball. There's just some, obviously he's on IR right now, but he was just so much better and so much, he he adapted the NFL game so much quicker than I thought he was going to. And that's been a huge plus as well. So it's interesting that we, we say all these things on the defense that still is like the one unit that's holding this team back. It's, it's ironic. I know we talked about it earlier, but it's, it's just yeah. kind of hilarious how that works. It's the defense has been a, a mystery all year because some guys have stepped up in ways you didn't think, but because some of the guys you penciled in haven't been as good as you would have thought, then overall, I think it's worked out to be a, a bit of a disappointment. And Jordan, I want to end the podcast just quickly, you know, after seven games, you know, again, with the mini buy reset here, because uh, the Browns buy so late, I want to ask you this now, uh, would you revise your season prediction? If so, what to, and do you think the Browns at this point, how confident are you they're still going to make the playoffs? Uh, I, I You had them making the playoffs at the beginning of the year, I'm almost certain. Yeah, I, I had them making the playoffs. I actually had them at 12 and 5 on, on the year, so that's that's probably not going to happen. I understand it's still technically obtainable, but that's probably not going to happen. I, I think I'd go somewhere around the 10 and 7 range for um, for the Browns record at, at when it's all said and done this year. I think they absolutely can. And probably still will make the playoffs. They got to take care of business in this next stretch of games. That's that's really what it's going to come down to. When you have this game against the Steelers, the Bengals, the Lions, the Patriots, you got to win those games leading into those Baltimore games. So if they're able to take care of business in those games, they should make the playoffs. And it helps that the Chiefs 
Um, who knows what's going on with them? But at the same time, it's doesn't that piss you off? Because I was thinking about this earlier. Like, of course, the one year where the Chiefs just like collapse, the Browns are kind of have their own questions and and, and dealing with their own injuries and have caught in some bad luck this year. So yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's been a tough year, Henry. But I think that at the end of the day, everything is still in front of this team. I feel the same way. I had them at eleven and six, and I was kind of floating between ten and seven and eleven and six. And I think I revised simply to ten and seven. I I still think that the Browns team has a lot of winnable games on their schedule. Uh, I still think that although yes, the division has gotten tougher, I still think the Browns match up well with these teams. I think they're you know the Steelers are not going to be able to threaten them with a downfield passing game, which is the weakness of this defense and. I know everybody's riding the Bengals train high today and maybe I'll, I'll be looking stupid for saying this, but I am still not hundred percent convinced on the Bengals just because of the offensive line. I, I understand that they've looked great, but they've played some teams that I think haven't pressured them in the same way that the Browns defensive line is going to pressure Joe Burrow. So we'll see those guys have played better than I thought they would. Clearly the Bengals overall are a much better team than I thought they were going to be with, you know, the additions on the outside with Jamar Chase with how good the defense is, but I'm not ready to say that the Browns, you know, are really, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they lose a game uh, or, or two against the Bengals, but I, I don't think, uh, you know, that team is head and shoulders above the Browns still. So I'm going to say 10 and seven, I'm going to say, yes, they still make the playoffs. I think they will be the six or the seven seed, but uh, I, I do think they're in an all right position still, even with everything that's happened. I think Baker will get healthier. I think he will play better. And I think, frankly, the other thing that's making me optimistic about the Browns is the Browns are built a little bit for November and December football, as they should be. Being a team in Cleveland, they run the ball well, and they get after the quarterback. So their weaknesses, you know, downfield passing and and safety, you know, the the safety slash back secondary play, those tend to, to, you know, not be as important as the season goes along, especially in the AFC North. So I will hang my hat on that. That will be the case for the Browns this year as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's still exactly what I was going to say. They still are built for this exact run that they can go on. We saw it last year, right? When a lot of the same questions were, is Baker Mayfield a guy that can lead the Browns to playoffs to win this, that, and the other, the defense was a huge question last year. And the day they beat the Steelers, why? Cause you can run the ball down their throat and you do the same against the Steelers. You have, or the chiefs, you have some success running the ball as well. So again, this team's still very much built for a playoff run. And again, it's still out in front of them, Henry. But I, like I said, I think these next couple of weeks, are going to be the crucial weeks. And if you drop some of these games, the outlook on the season is going to be a lot different than if you win them. So crucial stretch coming up here. And thank God they had 10 days to get ready for it. Yes, they did. They had 10 days to get ready for the Steelers in in particular. So that will be the big one on Halloween. Jordan, you and I will will preview that game. Uh, That episode will be out on Friday, coming out with another episode with a guest as well this week. So plenty of more content, Browns fans. But Wanted to get in this little, you know, mini buy reset for you and talk about some of the Baker Mayfield news as well. So, Browns fans, until next time, two words for you. Go Browns.